Here I am, Michael Pearl of No Greater Joy Ministries, coming to you again with a uh, words from God, words from science today, in fact. And so this is going to be very exciting. How do we know there's a God? We're going to show you from, from the physical laws of the universe proof of the existence of God. But first I want to show you my fishing trip this past week with my grandkid. Well, actually it was about 12 grandkids. I had nine of them in the creek with me at one time, changing, taking fish off the hooks and changing hooks and getting stuff untangled. It was a, it was a crazy mess. We're wading in cold water, and uh, so you'll you'll see the image of it there. You're making me fall in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a <laughs> nothing like a four-year-old for having loads of fun, huh? All right, how do we know there is a God? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a creator? That's questions people have asked, still ask down through the ages. Good question to ask. The Bible says, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Faith is not without reason. In fact, it's based on reason. Science and faith are not in opposition. Science is nothing more than a study of that which God has created. So we're going to expect the laws of science and physics to point back to the Creator. Faith doesn't mean believing things that no one with any sense would believe, Jordan Peterson said. <laughs> and that's absolutely true. Here's a man of intellect, not a Christian, not a professing believer, but one who said, I'm surprised at my faith after his empirical examination of reality. Uh, he has some form of belief in the existence of God. I'll let him define that for himself. Now, what they tell us is that 13, precisely 7 point billion years ago, there was a big bang. And they tell us that it began with an infinitesimally small speck, too small to detect with a microscope. In other words, basically began with a nothing. And out of that came the universe with 118, maybe 128 elements. Each one of these elements, essential and necessary, building blocks of the entire content of the universe, except for mind. And then out of that big bang came the laws of physics, acting consistently, beautifully, mathematics, everything perfectly timed, order and intelligent design all just banged out, personality, ego, this sense of the state of being that we all have, all came from this supposedly moment in time when everything just, poof, banged out of almost nothing. Now, the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's in opposition to what scientists say, not to what science says, but what scientists say. So uh, physics class was my... Uh, favorite class in college. I, I didn't major in physics, but I, I took a physics class in the middle of all my theology classes, and I enjoyed it immensely. Now, I can't explain to you the theory of relativity. I don't, even, I don't understand the theory of relativity, re relativity. and uh, I can't even explain to you the laws, first, second, third laws of dynamics in all of their intricacies, although I'm capable, as you are, of uh, looking it up and studying it, so we're going to be talking about those things. 
The laws of physics demand a personal creator. No question about it. They just demand a personal creator. There's no exception. Either something is eternal or something came from nothing. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, there's something here, right? We're here. The universe is here. Well, it either came from nothing or it came from something. And the something has to be eternal or it came from nothing. So the only two options is either something's eternal, whatever that be, always been here, or at some point out of nothing, no vacuum, no time, no space, no energy, no matter, no laws, no, no, <laughs> nothing. Out of that came something. Well, <laughs> which of those would you choose? Now, there are three possibilities here as we look at it. The universe is either eternal. It's always been here. It made itself out of nothing at some point in time. Or someone made it. Now, you might say something made it. Okay, we'll settle for that. Now, the laws of thermodynamics are the central point of all physical laws. There's a dozen major laws. Now, this is the formula for the first law of thermo being heat, dynamics, motion, or movement. And what is it? What does it mean? Let's put it in the most simple terms. Uh, there's many different uh, broad uh, onion with lots of layers to uh, this, but we'll just sum it up in this way. The first law of ther thermodynamics, it takes an outside force to generate energy and matter. See our little picture here? We got a shopping cart just sitting there. The man's standing there looking. Why won't it go? Well, it takes a force from outside. The shopping cart does not have the ability to make itself go. So you push it and it goes. So the first th law of thermodynamics indicates that there's one unified closed system of energy and matter. And everything that's within that is all that is. And that it's a closed system. Nothing is going into it and nothing is coming out of it. Here's the way they define it. The first law of thermodynamics is that it a certain quantity of energy, now that would be energy and matter together, and they call matter energy, a certain amount of energy exists in the system, and it can be transformed into matter or another form of energy, but it only functions within the system. In other words, the inside the system, there can be matter become energy, energy become matter, but there's no additional energy, no additional matter created by the system itself. The universe cannot create anything within it. That which is within it was there at the moment of its creation or its bang. So it only crease, increases from without. Now, the vast system is universally subject to the first law of thermodynamics, also called the law of conservation of energy. That is, the total amount of energy and matter in the universe remains constant and can neither be created nor destroyed, only converted from one form to another. I took that out of some definition of the computer. Okay, mass can transition into energy and energy into mass, 
but neither can be produced from inside the system. The law reveals that a tremendous power and resource had to come first from without the system and be the cause of it all. So that eliminates the option of it being self-generated. This system that we're part of could not have generated itself. It would be a contradiction of the first law of thermodynamics. Only something begets something. Nothing begets nothing. Only something. So something is the cause of this universe, and the universe cannot be the cause, according to the first law of thermodynamics. Now, here's an illustration. That picture you're walking through the woods, which I do quite a bit, collecting seed ticks, and you come across a rotting log. Came from the tree, right? You come across rotting vegetation. Came from the plants, right? Then you come across, amazingly, a very expensive wristwatch. You pick it up, put it on, and you've never seen one before, and you say, what is, what is this? And so you look up in the tree to say, which tree is producing this? A hickory nut tree, an oak tree, what tree? No, 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 you don't do that. You look at that watch, and if you look on the inside of it, you find that there's 500 different parts in a Swiss watch. Very intricate cogs and wheels and sprockets and gears working together in perfect order, every single one of them in place. If one was misplaced, if one tooth on a gear was gone, if one spring was sprung, the watch wouldn't work. It requires the whole. Now, you pick that up and you look at it, and you don't think there was an explosion in a junkyard and this is what resulted. You don't think there was a big bang somewhere and this came out a result of it. No. You know that an intelligent mind created this with a lot of patience, a lot of skill, a lot of practice. So the first law of thermodynamics tells us that the watch cannot create itself. It cannot create that order. It cannot create that functioning system. It had to have been created from without. That's the facts. Now, the professors would say, well, it could be self-generating. Maybe not, but maybe it's always been there. Maybe it's just been there forever. So that's the second law of thermodynamics addresses that. And there it is down at the bottom. I can't do that math. Uh, here it is. The second law of thermodynamics is everything is moving toward a state of equilibrium. Cold, dead, and still. You push the shopping cart. And you have a force exerted on the shopping cart. Now the force is translated to the shopping cart. You have entropy here. The cart is rolling, but it stops rolling in time and becomes dead still again. Everything is moving toward a state of cold, dead equilibrium. When you come across, and this is the illustration in my physics class. Uh, I made ace in physics. I, I didn't always do that in some of the other subjects. When you come across a cup of coffee like this steaming in a room, walk into a room, you don't say, well, that's amazing. What kind of cup is that? It's been sitting here for a thousand years steaming. No, you know that someone set that cup down there, that that was heated from without. It's not self-heating. And you know that in time it's going to grow cold. 
everything in the universe, thermo heat dynamics, everything in the universe is winding down and coming to a state of coldness. Here's an illustration. If you take hot and cold and you have an open channel of between them, the hot is going to transfer over to the cold, warm the cold up. The cold is going to cool the hot down and you're going to come to an equilibrium of temperature, cold and still, unless energy or force is brought from without to reheat it, it will not heat itself. That's your second law of thermodynamics. So this system of energy and mass is in a state of decay, they tell us. It's moving from a former state of order to a state of chaos. The universe is getting more chaotic all the time. The universe will degenerate into a singular temperature, floating, unmoving, cold, and dead. So it cannot be eternal, for it had a beginning, and it has an expiration date. If you were to draw two lines that converge, that run out into near infinity, but at one point converge, right now the universe is on a path to cooling, a path to slowing down, a path to stopping, and will reach a point of cold and dead. Now, if you project that backwards, that means that there either was an infinite infinity of existence in the universe, or at some point it was created, and it's moving toward coldness and deadness. So they tell us it was a big bang, and they know when it occurred, apparently, and they know when it will expire. They can project with temperature, heat, motion. The scientists project that the universe will come to a dead stop. They even know the date. 10 to the 26 years, it'll be cold, dead, and unmoving. Now, that's what that figure looks like. I have no way of pronouncing that. 10 to the 26 years, it will come to an end. The universe is ending. <laughs> Need to get some life insurance. Now, in other words, the system is winding down. The battery is running out. The uh, wind-up watch is running out. And unless something comes from out and rewinds it, it won't wind itself. The professor says, so it was created at some point in time. Who says it was a god that created it? Maybe, um, maybe there was life on another planet. Maybe uh, on the other side of the universe, uh, we're the product of genetic engineering or a, some great AI has uh, created us. That doesn't answer the question. That just puts it off, puts it a little further back. It still doesn't say where it all started from, where it all came from. So here is the third law we'll look at, and there's a dozen we could look at, but the law of cause and effect. Uh, Newton's law, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. The cause must be equaled to the effect. You saw the shopping cart here as the man pushes against the shopping cart. The shopping cart is pushing back against him. So it takes an equal force against the cart to keep it moving. And the force has to continue for the cart to continue to move. 
So that's action and reaction. Every single effect had a cause. If you walk into a room and there's pool balls bouncing around on the table, you look around to see who just hit them because pool balls just don't keep bouncing around on the table. There's no perpetual motion. Every single effect had a cause, an original starting point sufficient to produce the effect. So when you look at the universe, you have to ask, what caused it? When did it get caused? They tell us when. Now, I do a lot of picture painting. I was painting just yesterday. And uh, here is a, a, a typical paint room. Now, let's suppose that an explosion took place in that paint room. And that's kind of what it looked like, right? Right there. It, this, is, this is what it wouldn't look like, an explosion in a paint room. If you were to come into my studio and find a painting look like that, and you said, where'd that come from? I said, well, I had an explosion in my paint room, and, and that's just how it hit on the wall. So I cut it out and put it on a canvas and put it in a frame, and there it is. You'd say, don't, don't lie to me. There's too much order and meaning and design in that to be the result of an explosion. Yet you look at the universe, and you say, that was the result of a impersonal, unintentional, accidental explosion. Now here's a library. Each one of these books has a tremendous amount of words in it, 80,000, 120,000, 300,000 words, all in order, all punctuated, all spelled, most of them spelled correctly. That could not be an accident of a truck full of letters dumped out that means there's an intelligence behind it. When you look at the DNA of every cell, of every living thing, you find far more information than you'd get in the library. And you find it well-ordered. You find it meaningful. You find it is effective in maintaining and producing life. Where did that information come from? Was it an accident? <laughs> what about that mama and that little baby? <coughs> You think that they and their love and all that is between them is some kind of an accident? <laughs> so the Big Bang required a big banger, a really big banger. In fact, he had to be bigger than the bang because it takes whatever force is found in the moving cart had to have had that much force to push it. So the sum total of all that's in the universe, everything that it is, whatever caused it had to had that much mass, that much energy, that much order, that much meaning, that much beauty, that much intelligence. The first cause is defined by its creation. Just like a, a, an artist is defined by his painting. This universe is the creator's painting, and it says something about him. You say, but why would you call it a him? Because in the universe, we find presence, we find consciousness, we find free will, we find soul, and we find spirit. And that cannot be the product of physical structure. That cannot be the result of just atoms. 
There's something here in us that we that science cannot touch, cannot handle, cannot explain. It's an unexplainable fact of reality, and that's that I am conscious of who I am, and I'm conscious of my Creator. So the Big Bang required a bigger banger. The Big Bang theory only describes the time and place of the transformation of energy. It does not and cannot reveal the source. So atheism is now an archaic belief, as archaic as the flat earth, likewise based on blind faith, finagled evidence, and nonsensical reasoning. I have sat down and talked with hundreds of atheists. They were not, most of them were not high, they were high school atheists. You know what kind of that is. First and second year college atheists, that sort of people. And uh, I've seen dozens of them, maybe hundreds of them, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And I took them through a process similar to what I've gone through here, a lot less detail, a lot more simple. But it's amazing how people just never think through it. Here's what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. So science, we're not afraid of science. We love science. Newton was a scientist. Different ones, uh, or most of your early developers of scientific theory were Christians, nearly every one of them. And they saw it as an examination of God's creation to understand how it worked. So the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. In other words, the days are speaking the Creator, and the nights are showing His knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, every single ethnic group, every single language group looks at, as it says in Romans chapter 1, looks at creation and sees the Creator. You have to be highly schooled and trained and immoral to be an atheist. You cannot be honest in heart and be an atheist. Honest-hearted people the world over believe in a creator. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I wouldn't call you a fool, but if you say there's no God, God calls you a fool. Uh, you're a fool because you're, you're, you're ignoring the evidence. You're a fool because you're ignoring the science. Only somebody as dumb as Dr. Fauci could end up being an atheist. All right, I, I'm done for the day. See you next time.